Hello and welcome to this week's edition of People and Profit. I'm Delon D'Souza filling in for Kate Moody. Coming up this week, we take a look at what comes ahead for the US economy under Joe Biden with the midterm elections now out of the way. And as the COP27 continues in Egypt, developing states hit out at developed nations for climate aid that's been kept out of reach. Now, first, some fundamentals on the state of the U.S. economy. The unemployment rate rose slightly in October and is currently at 3.7 percent. Inflation, however, remains high, which is why we saw the Fed recently raise interest rates once again this year. Now, year-on-year inflation currently stands at 8.2 percent and the debt-to-GDP ratio currently standing at there at 124 percent. We can now bring in Abigail Watt, a U.S. research economist at Aberdeen Standard Investments. Great to have you with us here on the program today. Now, Americans walked in uh, to the midterm elections with wages uh, on the rise, benefits on the rise, but the standard of, of living wasn't really uh, doing, uh, it wasn't good uh, for most voters. Is this because uh, of the higher cost of energy or supply disruptions, which uh, we witnessed during the pandemic? So there's a number of reasons, I think, why U.S. consumers are perhaps feeling less confident about the U.S. economy and the outlook. I think you've raised um, an an interesting point there looking at inflation in particular. Um, I think households are are starting to feel the the kind of pinch from, from inflation and, as you say, from a number of angles. The first is that kind of supply chain disruption that we saw through the pandemic and the implication of that for rising good prices. And then the second is this idea of um, disruptions in the labor market in the supply side of the economy for services in particular. And therefore, uh, a lot of households are facing um, higher costs for for kind of the services that they would typically demand to. Um, I would say, though, we did see um, a little bit of an improvement, particularly on the good side, in the latest inflation report with that flat on the month. Um, But it is still the case that we are seeing quite strong services inflation. And that's probably something that's weighing on consumer sentiment in the U.S. Abigail, we've seen relatively good numbers out of the U.S. economy. Just take a look at the recent unemployment rate at 3.7 percent. Inflation, however, remains high. Given the actions we've seen from the Fed uh, in the past few months, is a recession inevitable? So I think... I think you've raised a really key point around the um, employment rate being being very low. Um, in theory, that, that would be a great thing for, for the Federal Reserve to have the economy at full employment. I think the issue is that you've got full employment whilst inflation rates are incredibly high. And so the Fed's mandate of 2% inflation, um, you know, for them to reach that, they need to kind of loosen that labor market. And I think in our view, you know, the one way in which that happens is by having such high rates in the U.S. economy that demand is, is kind of driven lower. And as you see that demand driven lower and you see kind of, I guess, increased costs for businesses in terms of investment with higher rates, we think that this will lead to a U.S. recession. But there are some who argue that uh, the governor over the there is increasing rates too fast. Where do you stand on that? We think that the Federal Reserve's policy is um, is is what they need to be doing. Uh, we actually expect that there'll be further hikes from the Fed to come. Uh, we do think at last week's meeting, Powell kind of signaled this desire to maybe shift towards a slower pace of hikes. So we are expecting um, two further 50 basis point hikes from the Fed, one in December and then one in February next year. Um, And we think that that is necessary in order to kind of bring inflation rates back in line with their target. 
This past August, we saw President Biden uh, sign the Inflation Reduction Act. What kind of benefits can we expect to see in the months to come if global energy prices remain high? So the Inflation Reduction Act itself, um, it's it's interestingly named. Um, I think some of the policies in the long run will benefit um, in terms of a lack of dependence on energy sources where we've seen, you know, significantly higher prices. And we will see that come through. But this is a very longer term plan. This is um, a, a kind of 400 billion plan spread over the next 10 years. Um, and I think the, the kind of benefits that we see from that will take a long time um, to, to kind of be reaped um, in the U.S. economy. And I actually think the the implications are much more at the, the kind of micro level. Um, and, and, you know, some businesses will be winners and some will be losers from that Inflation Reduction Act package. Now, we've seen the U.S. President Joe Biden continue on and in some cases even double down on the tougher trade policies of his predecessor, Donald Trump, particularly when it comes to China. Do we know how Beijing could possibly hit back on the economic front? I think for China, I think front and center for them um, is their domestic policy. I think, uh, you know, the Chinese economy has been struggling with its zero COVID policy. Um, And, you know, I think from the the 20th Party Congress, we can see that they're they're kind of shifting and focusing on their own domestic agenda. Um, I think the the more interesting side actually is to think about um, possible further action from the U.S. side. Um, I think the outcome of the midterms um, will likely lead to uh, more executive actions on on kind of foreign policy issues. And I do think China is one of the key areas where we might see more policy making being done by Biden. And Abigail, what can we expect from the U.S. president on the economic front going forward, knowing full well that he's going to want to create these well-paying jobs, as he's been saying, but at the same time, the Fed will need to do what it has to do to bring down inflation. So both of them are going to be at at, at loggerheads, essentially. Yeah, I think it's it's a really good question. And I think um, traditionally going into a recession, you would maybe see um more fiscal response from from the the government um, in the U.S., but I think part of the issue uh, there is the the issues around inflation and the fact that you know we've seen such high inflation and there's been arguments made that some of that inflation might be tied to some of the American rescue plan that Biden um, put, brought in in 2021, and so I think that that Biden will be treading very carefully in terms of the amount of fiscal response that's put in place to the recession that we're expecting in the U.S. next year. Um, we should maybe just see kind of automatic stabilizers coming into effect in the economy, such as things like unemployment insurance. Final question, as uh, you know, historically, economic confidence tended to rise when unemployment fell. Given that there's this sentiment that the recession is looming, why, why, why is that the case uh, when unemployment is so low? So this is a really um, this is a really good question, and it's something that we've kind of been looking into in a little bit more detail. Um, I think one of the key things, as as we've already raised, is is inflation, and I think consumers have inflation front of mind just now, and I think that's weighing on consumer sentiment. But the other thing that we've seen in a number of the sentiment series um, in the U.S. is that there's this clear bipartisan split, um, and I think that you know sentiment was beginning to be. Um, beginning to decline 
um, even as you saw the kind of big uh, increase in in kind of um, economic activity as the economy reopened in 2021, you saw consumer sentiment was was kind of trending down. And I think that this was more to do with Republicans favoring um, Republicans not favoring uh, Biden. Um, and, and it was more to do with political leanings than necessarily the, the kind of actual strength of the U.S. economy. Abigail, thank you very much for joining us on the program today. That was Abigail Watt joining us there from Boston. Now, as the COP27 summit takes place in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, developing countries have hit out a developed states for climate aid that's been kept out of reach. A new report recently released suggested poorer nations will need to secure $1 trillion every year in external financing and match that money with their own funds in order to mitigate the effects of climate change. As the consumption of meat and fish continues to grow around the world, the production of animal feed remains a strain on land and water resources. Insects, however, provide much of the protein animals need at a lower environmental cost. Insect farming has seen a massive expansion here in Europe. France 24's Emerald Maxwell and David Gilbert travelled to one such farm in the north of France. They may not tickle everyone's appetite, but insects are a natural part of many creatures' diets. Here in Picardy, in northern France, InnovaFeed is betting on the black soldier fly larvae. The company produces insect protein from them, which it sells to fish farms. They say it helps to prevent overfishing, as currently much fish feed is caught at sea. So that protects fish population. It also reduces CO2 emissions because actually fishing is an energy intensive business. So we also avoid 800 kilos of CO2 emissions as was calculated by a third party. The company also produces insect oil, an alternative source of fats for poultry and pigs. It's got the same properties as palm oil and coconut oil and both of them, they tend to happen in tropical countries where there's still a lot of primary forest being felled for it. So we essentially avoid that every time you feed poultry or swine with insect oil instead. With the promise of a more sustainable source of protein, using less land, water and energy, InnovaFeed has raised up to 450 million euros, and it's one of several French startups which are growing fast. It's a market that's supported by research in laboratories like this one in the Paris region, into the insects' conversion of waste into high-quality protein. Their bioconversion is very efficient. 10 kilos of waste becomes one kilo of protein. The protein they produce not only seems to be naturally cleansed of the waste bacteria, but the insects' byproducts are also of interest for plants. Their excrement or frass becomes a very valuable fertilizer for feeding the soil and plants. So it's really a great example of a circular economy. Companies like InnovaFeed have jumped on board this circular economy, but with demand for animal feed vastly outweighing what these startups are able to supply. Insects still have a long way to go to recover their place in a more secure and sustainable food chain. That's it for this edition of People and Profit from all of us on team. Thank you very much for watching.
France 24, your economy explained. Liberté, égalité, actualité.